0: Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the beautiful sunset you give us every day and the sunrise the next morning. But Father, we thank you for what is beyond that sunset, what is waiting for us in Beulah Land, in that glorious place called home where you and your dear son live. Thank you that we have the promise of being there one day And so, Father, now I just pray that you would uh, minister to our hearts once again as we open your word, and we will thank you as we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, if you will take your Bibles, please, and uh, let's turn together uh, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're continuing our series of 1 Peter. It's been a little while since we've been here. And by the way, I want to thank, again, Colonel James May for filling in for me the other Sunday night uh, when he brought the word to you here in the evening. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I got a chance to listen to it uh, on the... uh, Uh, the audio sermon audio and uh, how powerful it was so practical and what a blessing it was to my heart Jim thank you and I know you all were blessed and then uh, I do praise the Lord for Nick Uh, God really used that young man uh, to fill the pulpit while I was gone and um, it, it escaped me this morning I was had so much going on I was mentioning his baby and everything else I forgot to. I wanted to tell the congregation how much i appreciate nick and and his ministry of the word uh i got to we got to watch him on youtube the youtube video of of his preaching down there in at the shore and so uh we were able to listen and and god again i i just can't thank the lord enough for sending us such a a young man who knows the scriptures loves the lord and now god has blessed him with a a, a new baby so we want to continue to pray for him but thank you, Nick. Uh, here, if, if, as we turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're in chapter 2 now. And we are going to pick it up tonight at verse 11. And we're going to look at verse 11 through 17. So this is part 9 of our series. Verses 11 to 17 of 1st Peter chapter 2. And what I'd like to do is let's read through it and then we're going to break it down. If you'd follow along. Verse 11. Peter writes, "Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, again, we know that word can be also translated foreigners, to abstain from fleshly lusts." Which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in a thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor men, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the King, honor the King. Here we come to a, a passage of scripture that uh, uh, Peter again, if we understand the we have to understand the situation the time frame when Peter's writing this. Uh, Nero is Emperor, that wonderful guy, Nero, um, as you, you know the story of Nero and his wickedness. Uh, how he burned the city of Rome and then he turned on he had to find uh, he wanted a new Rome and so he decided to burn the old one down but then he saw that everyone was so mad and upset wondering who did this that he ended up blaming the Christians and therefore he had the Christians rounded up arrested brought into the arena burned at the stake, thrown to the lions, and, and so much else. And many martyrs gave their life. In fact, Peter gave his life as a martyr under the rule of Nero. But here is Peter wants to clarify some things with the believers who are suffering in various parts of the land throughout the Roman Empire. Remember he talked about those who are scattered And we remember the title of this uh, series. We called it Alien Life. Alien Life. And we, as Peter puts it, you and I, believers in Christ, we are considered aliens, strangers here on earth, foreigners, sojourners, that this is not our home. How many uh, have you recently felt more and more like, I don't belong here. You know, I, I look at the news, I see what's going on, and you just feel more and more like, like Lord, uh, take me away. I'm ready to go. Lord Jesus, come. And Peter wanted the believers who were suffering during this time to also understand something when it came to authority, and especially authority of the government, Ro- the Roman Empire, Rome itself, and <clears throat> now here uh, Peter is uh, is what uh, what we would call. He's giving ha- household codes. Someone said someone liked to call it household codes, and so what we are to do as. Uh, and the apostle Paul gave the same kind of instructions in both Ephesians and Colossians but basically it's concerns the mutual instructions for husbands and wives fathers and children slaves and masters now Paul the, the apostle when he wrote his letters he focused mostly on how believers should relate to one another but Peter his concern was on how we as the church relate to the unbeliever and uh, and so we're going to see this and again peter is going to break it down concerning submission to authority and he and he wants to start here and we're going to he's going to break it down more in chapter 3 but he begins with understanding who we are again. He wants to make sure that he reminds the, the reader that we are aliens and being aliens, not part of this world. We are not of this world any longer. That we are, verse 11, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul which wage war against the soul. And therefore, he then says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And there is when he uses the word Gentiles, he's talking about unbelievers. So he's saying, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. The world is watching us so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That phrase, day of visitation, um, most Bible scholars believe that this is referring to the return of our Lord Jesus. When he comes back, his day of visitation, back to take his children home, to take the bride away, and then return to earth and bring judgment upon the earth, But there is going to be that day where God is going to be glorified through unbelievers. They will somehow bring glory to God as they realize in the judgment day that you and I were righteous and their slander against us was evil. And God's going to hold them accountable. But Peter makes sure that we are concerned about the behavior of our lives, we are living before the world. And so easy to, to kind of forget that. And I think, have you ever found yourself just getting angry at what is happening in America? Absolutely, we all have. We see the decline and fall of America the way we once knew it, the way it was founded. It was founded upon the word of God. It was founded upon God's moral laws. And suddenly, what are we seeing? We are seeing the spirit of the Antichrist take over, not just here, but all around the world. It's getting stronger and stronger, setting the table for the tribulation period and for the Antichrist to come. But here, Peter says watch how you live in front of those Gentiles because they're going to slander you for the, if you live a righteous life. And isn't that what we see today? I mean, all of a sudden, good is bad, bad is good. And if you live a righteous life, and if I, if I say, well, I live according to this book, And this is what I stand on, and I believe it's the word of God and everything God says about it and and, uh, about life and what sin is, then if I take that stand, I am going to be called, what am I being called today? A hater, an evildoer. Is that not what we're being called? And this is going to be more and more just like the days of ancient Rome, that uh, the Christians were living out their their life for Christ, but suddenly they were being persecuted for their faith. So Peter is saying, I want you to continue to keep your behavior excellent before the Gentiles, because someday your, your life will bring glory to God when Jesus returns. So again, watching, keeping an eye on our fleshly nature, the old nature, in us, the fleshly lusts which wage war—verse eleven—against our soul. I think we forget what um, what our fleshly d- desires and the old man inside me that was crucified, you know, with Christ. That old man, the damage he can still do to my soul. Oh, I can't lose my salvation, but. It's waging war against the new me inside, the, my soul that is now redeemed, born again. And suddenly I feel this inner battle. And the Apostle Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 7, about the old and the new man inside him and oh, how they fought against each other and, and how he wished to be delivered from it. But then we come now to verse 13 through 17, 13 through 17. And here we are going to see that the that Peter is going to speak of submission for the believer, submission to human institution or human authority, and uh, basically he's, it, it concerns civil obedience. Or civil disobedience. There again, verse 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Here we have Peter laying it out before us that we are, as the church, we are to be submissive to our government. We are to be submissive to our government in that we will obey the laws of the land and and, and not speak evil of it. Of course, unless they have turned against God, and, they, the, and our government is now forcing evil or, or the Christian to do evil or to disobey God's law, and that is when we draw a line. We're supposed to obey authorities, he's making it clear, but there are times where we have to take a stand, and I want to look at a few of these. Uh, We won't turn to this one, but you recall in Exodus chapter 1, do you remember the Jewish midwives? They refused to abort the male children that Pharaoh had commanded. And that's why we had Moses, because she disobeyed Pharaoh's command. That was the authority of the land. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. So let's go over to Daniel 3 and a familiar passage here of daniel and our three friends shadrach meshach and abednego <clears throat> and uh, we we know the situation here that that the king built Nebuchadnezzar built the the great golden image and he he Everybody was to bow down and worship this image. But look, let's pick it up at verse 12. So some of the Chaldeans came to, the, to, to King Nebuchadnezzar because everybody was supposed to bow down and, and worship when the music played, worship this idol, the, the image of the king. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you, King Nebuchadnezzar, have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been given great positions in the kingdom. They make it clear, they remind the king, these are the guys that you appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. So here they were, they were given a high office of administration in the empire, but now it came time to to uh, put them to the test. And they were put to the test, of course, as the music played, they stood standing. They did not bow before the, b- b- before the image and worship. In verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not worship my gods or worship the golden image? that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, and by the way, this is Nebuchadnezzar, you know, letting him off, giving him a second chance. I'm going to let you off the hook here. Okay, I'll give you a second chance here. Now, if you're ready, after you've thought about this, now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery and bagpipe and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well that's good but if you do not worship you will be immediately cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire and what god is there who can de- deliver you out of my hand he knew they were jews he knew they worshiped the god of the of, of the uh, of the israelites and so verse 16 and here's That beautiful statement made by the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, answered and said to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter." Notice they are being precise and and detailed about what they're talking about. It's about this matter. They're not bringing up everything else that may be wrong with the government. I'm sure there were other things that they saw the idolatry and other things in the government. They weren't, they they left that alone. But they were dealing with an issue where they were going to be forced to commit idolatry before their God and disobey the God of Israel. And so, verse 17, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, and of course they're talking about through death, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And we know the rest of the story. This is our perfect example of when we are to take a stand against evil that the government may bring upon us and force us to do. And these are the times <clears throat> more and more where you can feel the oppression. You can feel that, that they're, they're coming after us. You know, the wicked men are going to come after us. And we are going to be in a place, and we don't know how long that will be, where we will have to take a stand for our faith. And they may say, you either do this, what is what we have made law, or you pay the consequences. And uh, if you've noticed, what has our country done? It's redefined everything. Suddenly, everything has been flipped around. And so definitions definitions have been changed so they're rewriting the dictionary basically and so you look up in a dictionary the word man oh they're changing that you look up woman they're changing that and all kinds of things and what what used to be sin is now being blessed and called great and you and I, dear friends, are, Peter is, is telling his people we do need to submit to authority and we need to live a quiet, peaceful life and we, we live in obedience to the authority that's put over us unless it gets to the place like this where we are deliberately forced to go against God's moral law. So I just wanted to make that clear when it comes to submission. But if you go back with me to 1 Peter now, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is making it clear. We need to be, as Christians, law-abiding citizens. I have to make sure that I obey the laws of the land that are not contrary to the word of God. And so he says there, submit yourselves, verse 13, but here's the key that sits in there. Submit yourselves for what? The Lord's sake to every human institution, whether a king as one in authority or to the governors, the local authorities as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and praise of those Who do right? I think the key to this passage is for the Lord's sake. If I remember, though, I may disagree with things that the government may be doing. Certain things, I I disagree with how they're handling things, and uh, and some of the changes that are being made. uh, I may disobey. Yet, if if they are not forcing me to disobey the word of God and his moral law, then I need to be submissive, submissive to the government that God has placed over me and over us as the body of Christ. And what is the key that I remember in my mind that I am doing this for the Lord's sake, doing it for the Lord's sake, doing it in his name. So in other words, I submit myself to the authorities even though they may be wrong in some of the things that they are doing and choosing to do. I submit myself as if I'm submitting myself to the Lord because that's really what I'm doing. I'm saying, Lord, you told me to submit for your namesake to the government over me, so therefore I will do that, Lord. And you see, my submitting to authorities the earthly authorities it will be a sign, proof that I am really submitting to God's authority in my life. Isn't that true? That, my, that he is my authority and what, it, what God tells me to do, that will I do. And so Peter is making clear, trying to make certain, understand this, that you may be persecuted, Christian. You might be arrested for your faith. But basically saying, if that's the case, let them arrest you, but stand upon your the word of God and stand upon your faith, stand up for Christ and and be counted for him. And then whatever the consequences are, we leave in God's hands. And that's what was taking place in this first century. Yet Peter why was Peter actually writing this? He's writing it because he didn't want the the Jewish believers scattered all over the province. He didn't want them to become bitter against Rome and against the government there in spite of Nero. They still, the land still had some good moral laws even though they have a, had a wicked emperor a wicked king. He's basically saying, watch your behavior before the world and and submit to authorities and submit to those who are, uh, are in authority over you. And then we come down to verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right, keyword right, obeying God, what God says, by doing right, You may silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is the will of God that I submit to authority over me. It's God's will. And by doing this, and by doing what's right, and living a a, a life that is uh, demonstrating excellent behavior, and people can see that I'm not living like the world and I marched to a different drumbeat. I marched to God's drumbeat. He says, this is the will of God, that you do right so that the ignorant people who will call you evil, the, it's going to silence them. That word, just silence them, has the idea in the Greek of putting a muzzle on a, on, on a dog or an animal. So it's going to silence the critics. If we just do right, do the will of God. And then verse 16... Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Here he's making it clear to us that as free men and those who were free citizens, maybe of Rome, we are to act as free men, even though we are under authority and we might even be slaves to that that government. But we are to act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. We are to be committed to the Lord God and understand that we we are his slaves and we are obeying God. And therefore, we must live this way before men. And then verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, Fear God and honor the king. Honor the king. He ends with that. It's interesting when you, we go through the scriptures, we will find different places where um, you, people were put to the test for whether or not they were going to obey the uh obey the laws of the land. And Jesus what did Jesus say in the few times he got political and talked about the government? Do you remember what Jesus would point out? Render unto Caesar those things which are Caesar's and the things which are God's render those to him. Jesus made it clear too to obey the government and the authority over us and to practice civil obedience. And I want you to turn in closing as we close here to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, this is one of my personal favorite passages in the New Testament. And... And we'll pick it up at verse 24. By the way, have, have any of you ever complained about your taxes? No, no, we never do, do we? Oh, hey, they keep rising. That's okay. Yippee. No, yes, we, we go, they're going up again. But here is a beautiful account of how Jesus looked on authority over over them and his disciples, and pick it up at verse twenty four and when they had come to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, "Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax?" And he said, "Yes so Peter's telling them, the tax collectors came around into the town and said, time to pay taxes. Do you pay taxes? Do you and your, you know, does your teacher, they knew Jesus was there. Do you and your teachers, do, do you pay taxes? You know, I'm sure they were figuring, they'll just say, no, we don't pay taxes. We don't believe that it's being used for God. Or, you know, uh, it, it, this was a temple tax. These were a temple police that were going around and collecting the taxes, which every Jewish male had to pay once a year, okay? And it was a a two drachma tax. And so so they, they confront Peter. So what does Peter do? So Peter, verse 25, he went into the house... As he went into the house, who spoke first? Jesus. See that? And he went in, came into the house. Jesus spoke to him first. See, Jesus knew what was going on, knew what was out going on outside the house. He knew the tax collectors had come. He knows all things. And he asked, asked Peter, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs and poll tax?" From their sons or from strangers? And upon his his saying, from strangers, Jesus said to him, Consequently, the sons are exempt. And now he's talking about, again, the temple tax. And they are the sons of Abraham. They shouldn't have to pay the tax. It should be foreigners that should pay the tax. He says, we are sons. So they have a right to... They have a right to say no according to uh, the, um, uh, you know, the the er, earthly customs. But he says, verse 27, but lest we give them offense. Jesus is concerned about offending the tax collectors that just showed up. And he's here. This is a one-on-one private Moment with him and Peter. And he wants to teach Peter something about authority, about civil obedience, and also about faith. So he says, we don't want to offend them. And Jesus and the disciples didn't have this kind of money on them at that point. So what does he tell Peter to do? He says, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take out the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth you will find a stater or a, which is a shekel take that and give it to them for you and me this is this is one of my personal favorite miracles that the Lord Jesus did. Because he is providing. He's saying, Peter, don't worry about it. What, if the government asks, I, we're, God's going to provide for you. God's going to provide for us. Watch this. Peter, what I want you to do is something that will blow your mind. I want you to go down to the Sea of Capernaum, Uh, And there, I'm sorry. The uh, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Go down to the sea, which was where the uh, uh, Capernaum was sitting on, and go down there. And I want you to throw in take your take your fishing rod, throw in your fishing rod with the hook on it, and then he said, "What I want you to do is." Take the first fish that comes up, the first one that grabs your hook, you pull out of the water. And when you pull it out, pull it on the land, open its mouth, and guess what you'll find? You'll find the tax money. And you know what's amazing is this, if you really study this and what that drachma is and what a stater is, a temple tax. A temple tax for one male Jew was, uh, was half a shekel, okay? It was half a shekel for one, one, one man. So they, they made half shekels. You can buy them on eBay today. Yeah, you, you'll see them. The ancient coins of half shekels that they used to put in the temple as temple tax, back in Jesus' day. It was called the shekel of Tyre, the city of Tyre, shekel of Tyre, pure silver. They had this half shekel. But they also had a full shekel. One coin that was considered two halves, of course, it was a full, called a full shekel of Tyre. That one coin would pay for two male Jews' temple tax. What did Peter pull out of that fish? He pulled one full shekel. Not only was there a coin in there, but it was the exact amount that was required for them to pay. One coin one full shekel paid for both of them. Boy, did Peter learn a lesson. And this reminds me again and again that God is going to supply all our needs, even when we don't know how. Even when they're, they're, we don't know, and it doesn't, not just financially, but other areas of our life. If we would just keep our eyes on the Lord and know that He is going to provide for our families, for our marriages, for our homes, for our children. He is going to provide we've got to trust him by faith but here again he's teaching peter obey the laws of the land as long as they don't cause you to disobey the law of god let's pray together heavenly father i thank you so much lord for giving us the insight lord on how we should then live Father, help us to continue to live in a way that uh, exemplifies your righteousness, but shows the world that that we are living in obedience to authorities put over us and to our government. And Father, I pray that uh, they might see our good behavior and glorify you because of it. But, Father, help us to also take a stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did when that time comes that we might not bow the knee when the world says to bow to their images. Father, imprint this truth upon our minds and hearts tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.